this morning. It's good to see you all. As you're sitting down, we're going to pop this on the screen here in a second. You can find it in a minute. It'll be in Revelation chapter 21. If you don't know where that is, just look in the back. It's in the very back of the book. In Revelation 21, 1, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and he and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to, said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, inheritance. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I like to start projects at like 1030 at night, which is like the worst time ever to start a project because no store is open. And, um, and maybe Walmart. I used to live closer to Walmart so I could make that like midnight Walmart run. But now it's like you got to drive a little bit to get to Walmart, okay? And if you're going to Lafayette, you take your life in your hands. If you're not like from Florida, everything in Florida is flat. Here it does this all the time. So you're taking your life in your hands if you're going to go to Walmart at midnight. And so I, 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 constantly do this. I don't know. I get a second wind, and I'm like, I need to start this project now. Not in the morning fresh. I'm going to start my projects at 1030 at night. Anybody else do that? Are you? I, I do that all the time. For some reason, that is just like, that is where I feel like I'm, I'm feeling spry. Let's do this thing. So uh, my wife and I, we lived in a house, and we lived in Georgia. <laughs> I know you're glad we lived in a house. Um, in, in Georgia, we lived in this 50-year-old house, and uh, it had been remodeled, but not every part of the house had been remodeled. And so we had made some, uh, some French fries, okay, like homemade French fries. So we peeled the potatoes, and we had a garbage disposal. And so we thought, well, we're going to use this to the best of its ability, all right? So we, f we fed all of the, um, the, the peels, the potatoes, through the garbage disposal. And as you can ma imagine, that did not work out so well. And before long, our sink was clogged with a murky uh, solution of of potato skins and water, and it was super full. And we kept saying, if we keep pouring more water in, the stuff is bound to pass and go down. Okay, and we got some of that liquid plumber, and it did a little bit, and it was, it was evident that we had a clog on our hands. And instead of waiting in the morning where stores would have been open, I decided like 1030, it's time to tackle this project. And Amy's like, I, you do what you want, I'm going to bed. And I said, all right, I'm going to take care of this. Well, she emerged about an hour later from the bedroom to get a glass of water, and she stepped in a puddle of water because I had gone down there to, I was just going to untwist the drainage pipe, right? And then it will be easy for me to untwist this, release the clog, and then everything would be fine, right? <laughs> yeah, you see where this is going. 
I actually I grabbed the pipe to do it, and it looked it was a it, it was aluminum on the out. It, I guess it was metal, and it looked fine on the outside. It was nice painted an aluminum color, you know. And I grabbed the pipe, and it literally disintegrated in my hand. It had rotted from the inside out, and all of that murky potato water, which we filled the sink with, was all over the floor and me. And she just said, I don't even want to know. Went back to bed. (laughs) And I want you to know something. That picture of that pipe is what this world is. It is remarkably beautiful. I mean, go outside. You go to the mountains. You see the snow-capped mountains in Colorado. You You can go not too far down the road and see rolling hills here. You see the green grass. You see the beautiful weather. You see the sunsets. You see all the beautiful things in this world, and you're like, this is a great place. And yes, it is. But then you think about it more, and you see the death, the the decay, the struggle. You see the pain. You see the hurt. You know it's real. This place is a beautiful place created by God, but it has been horribly marred by sin. And death reigns. However, God in his goodness, after our first parent's sin, he, he, even before the world began, had a plan of redemption that he was going to buy his people back through the blood of Christ. And thanks be to God, we've seen that, that he came, the God-man came, died on the cross for our sins. And we see that the mission forward is to proclaim that. His church is to to boldly proclaim his coming and his resurrection and to proclaim that there's salvation in no other name but in Jesus Christ to this broken, decaying world that is crumbling, even though it looks good sometimes. And there is one day coming that is the day of greatest hope when he will finish this story that he began at creation that was marred by the fall, has seen the redemption of Christ, and now there's a day coming when all things will be made new. And this is the restoration that we see as we've been walking through these several weeks. We see a restoration coming. And it's Revelation 21, 1 through 8. It's going to be our major text today. I, want, I got three words for you that I want you to remember, okay? I want you to remember the first word is hope. Say that back to me. Hope. Second word is holiness. Say that back to me. There you go. Third word is home. Say that back to me. As we look at this, those are going to guide us as we look through this passage of Scripture. Let's go to Revelation 21, talking about this new hope that we have in this crumbling world is a new world. In verse 21, John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Hope. It comes in the fact that just like we talked about with that pipe, this world can be a beautiful place, but it's horribly marred and it's crumbling. In fact, Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 3, we hear the idea that the world will be destroyed by fire. So the first world, the first, the first heavens, the things that we look at outside, when we go outside, the stars in the sky, the, the, the firmament that we see, the land, the water, everything that we see, it will pass away. It's all been marred by sin. It's all been marked by sin. It's all groaning for the creator to come back and, and to make things right. Have you ever heard somebody like really groan? You know, like they're really in pain. I remember when I had I had a kidney stone and I it was it was like some barnyard animal in in the room. Okay, it was not good. 
Creation is, creation is groaning. Kevin was going to talk about that next week in Romans chapter 8, that the creation is groaning for the restoration. We, we long for this. It's like we are, we are in severe pain waiting for this to come. And if you don't believe me, all you got to do is turn on the news to see that. That there is there's something not right. We always say, there's something not right. We need, we need a politician to fix it. We need this to fix it. Ultimately, the only way that all things are going to be made right is when the Creator comes again and Christ comes and He returns and all things will be made new. The first heaven and the first earth will pass away and the second heaven, a new heaven and a new earth will appear. Now, we don't know exactly what that's going to be like, okay, because he's going to recreate. Now, we don't see in the first, in the first time that God created, it was, it was what, it was a Latin term that, that theologians use. It's called ex nihilo, okay, and that's not, you don't need to know that, okay, although it would be cool to just go up to somebody and just say ex nihilo and just walk away and they'd be like, oh, wow, that person's weird, and it would be cool to say, I, I know some Latin, but what it actually means is from nothing. So God, there was, there was God, and you know what he did? He spoke, and the world became. The world happened. Now, just, just by the way, if some of you are coming here with some, a skeptical nature of, of creation and God being the creator, there is a, and we talked about this at, at Student Life Camp. Uh, our students got to hear this from a pastor named Ed Newton. There's a documentary out that's called Expelled. And a guy by the name of Ben Stein, if, you know who, if, if you've ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ben Stein was the guy going, Bueller, Bueller. Well, he actually served in the Nixon administration, um, and he, was, he is a, a Jewish individual, and he made this documentary called Expelled, talking about how a, that those who have jettisoned a belief in, in God and have completely will not allow for that in the sciences and in philosophy, uh, allow for God to be in those, those areas, how it leads to moral detriment. And in this, he talks to Richard Dawkins, one of the, one of the foremost... Um, uh, crit- criticizers of the church and of God in general. And he asked him about the Big Bang. And, and the Big Bang, as, as Dawkins understands it, was a bunch of chemicals and particles colliding to create, bang, everything that is known. And he asked him, Ben Stein asked Dr. Dawkins this question. He says, well, where did those chemicals come from that were in the particles? Where did they come from in the beginning? And he had no answer. And so when, once you know this, this is, this is the truth, that God created everything out of nothing and that he will recreate the world, not out of nothing. It'll have some similarity, some continuity to the first world, but it will be brand new and not hurt and cursed by sin. Amy and I were talking about this passage. My wife and I were talking about this passage, and we don't know what it's like to not have to struggle with things going awry, right? We always have contingency plans. We always have this idea that something's going to break. Murphy's Law is in full effect. If it can't happen and it's bad, it will happen. And so we get to this place where there is a coming day when all things, this world that is so broken and marred by sin, will be new. He's going to recreate it. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we do know it will be new. 
And then there's a weird part of this passage in verse 1. It says, Then I saw the new heavens and the new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. That's where Second Peter comes in, and there'll be, it'll be an, the first world will be annihilated by fire, and then the new one will be recreated, okay? And so we see this coming, that the first earth had passed away, and then it has this weird statement, and the sea will be no more. That's weird, isn't it? Because if you're talking about the world, world being created, recreated, you'd think that seas would be there because most of our planet's covered in water, right? Well, if you, and, it, and, and it's hard to think about, but if you look in this book, most of the evil that comes out in the book, like the beast and, and a lot of sin and death, it comes out of the sea. I don't know why God through the Spirit and John writing, I don't know why they had all the evil coming out of the sea, but that's the case. And so when the new heavens and the new earth comes, there will be no sea. And this is a symbolic way of saying there will be no more of the presence of evil in the world. The news will be so boring. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, I'm just, that's going to be awesome. Well, you don't have to see the genocide and the homicide. It will be taken care of. Those who are in the Lamb's book of life will spend eternity with him. Those who refuse the Lamb of God and whose name is not written in the book of life, they have their place in the lake of fire, the second death, hell, forever. And it's going to be a right judgment because their sins are the ones that condemn them there. It's the actions that they had carried out. And there's a day coming when there will be no longer even the, the temptation nor the possibility of evil. That is hard to grasp. Because everything in our... Watch, go, go watch a movie. My wife and son have been out of town. I go watch movies now because I'm like, i got to find something to do in this downtime, okay? You work, and then you're like, all right, well, now what am I going to do? Usually I go and wrestle with my son, okay? And now i got nothing to do, so what do I do? I show up at the movies, okay? And you know what all the movies are based off, especially summer movies? There's a bad guy, and he's going to do bad. And there's a good guy, and he's going to do good. And they're going to fight each other. The battle is over. It's the peace has settled in. The new heavens and the earth, when, when Christ comes and he makes all things new, death will be defeated because of the resurrection. Sin will be defeated and, and be punished by his coming. Those of us who are in Christ, we will, our names will be written in the book of life. We will have life. That's taken care of. And finally, this world that has been marred, the world that is crumbling, the world that looks good sometimes like the pipe but is, is shattering and crumbling, it will be made new, and the possibility of evil will be no more. That is hope. Remember I told you three words. The first one is what? Hope. The hope here is in the second coming of Christ when he comes and there will be a new heaven and new earth and there will not even be the possibility of wickedness anymore. Those of you who, who are fighting the fight, just like me, against sin, that is going to be a beautiful day because the fight is over and the temptation will be gone. The new heavens and the earth, the old will pass away and the new will come. Then verse 2 you have this city falling. And then it says in verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Can you imagine? Just, just think for a second. This guy, John, apostle, is seeing these visions on a prison island, and he's largely by himself. He has seen seven-headed dragons. He's seen prostitutes riding the beast. Go back and read it. It is a wild book. He's seen a battle in which Jesus and the armies, the holy armies have come, and they have laid waste, and there's been blood everywhere, and there's been destruction. And then we get to this point right here. The dragon has been cast, Satan has been cast, and he will suffer forever. And then he sees new heavens and a new earth, and there's no more sea. And all of a sudden, Jerusalem recreated, a new holy city starts descending from the heavens, and it is glistening. It says it's like a bride adorned for her husband. And it's glistening and shining and coming down. This brand new city is coming down in front of him. And then this great idea is put as as the city falls. In verse 3, he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is not God, but this is probably one of the angels near him. And it says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Do you remember, go back to Genesis chapter 1. God and man were in in perfect communion with one another before the fall. God walked in the garden with man. And now we've been separated from God because of sin. We've been reconciled in Christ. But there is something that keeps, we are not with him yet. And there are lonely nights. You know that song Paul McCartney wrote? I'm not going to sing it for you, but it's got no more lonely. I said I wasn't going to sing, and there you go. No more lonely nights. You ever heard that song before? Even if you don't know who Paul McCartney, if you don't know who Paul McCartney is, you need to know who Paul McCartney is. Okay, um, that's just wrong. Um, but he wrote that song, "No More Lonely Nights." But he wrote that about his wife who passed away of cancer, and now he is by himself. His singing of that song is a longing for this day when there will be no more separation. Now, he's not a believer, and he doesn't know this. I pray he will come to know the truth of Christ. But the, 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 it, the fact remains that there are lonely nights here. There is struggle. We even, even in our best moments, when we're singing, like we were just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come, and we were just belting that out, and we were singing it. There is a ceiling we are not with him yet. We will know loneliness. We will know pain. We, right now in this world, we know all of those things. But there is a day coming where we are, we are, our faith will be sight. We're no longer just walking by faith where we can't see. Our faith will be sight, and we will see him coming. And all of the things that we have heard, all of the things that we have, have heard from the word will be realized and for us to see. And the, the symbols will give way into reality, into, into sight. For example, Jerusalem, it's a big city. Jerusalem is a huge city in the Bible. 
talked about all the time. Jerusalem was the place where the temple was built. The temple represented the presence of God and coming into it. Inside the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies, that's where God's presence, presence dwelled, at least in, in symbolically it was there. It had the Ark of the Covenant in it for some time. And so they would go in there, and on the Day of Atonement, they would make sacrifices, and it was only one day a year that they could go into the Holy of Holies. And so the, the Jerusalem pictured the people of God living around in the presence of God. But when the new Jerusalem comes, this new city, no longer are we going to have to have symbols of God's presence, but his presence will be there. Later on in this book, other verses after this one, these verses, he talks about the new Jerusalem, and there will be no more sun. The sun will not exist anymore, the S-U-N, no more sun. Do you know why? Because God himself will be the light. His presence will be with us, and that's what the beauty of this is. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. All of the things that kept us from him, sin, has been taken care of by the cross. All of, the, all of the, the, the brokenness of our bodies, we will have resurrected bodies and we will be with him. All the brokenness of the world will be taken care of. And now the new Jerusalem, which was a symbol of God's presence with his people, would fall. And all of us will live in the same city of God with God. That is hope. We are not, this is not the end. It's not eat, drink, live, for tomorrow we die. There's more to come. There is a day coming when all things will be made new. And then verse 4. He will wipe away, my God, he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's just read that again. This is crazy. He will wipe away every tear. Every tear. Not some tears. Not just a few. Every tear. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. He's defeated death because he got up. It's going to go to hell. Death is going to hell. Look in chapter 20. It will be no more. And then it says this, neither shall there be mourning, mourning over death, mourning over sin, mourning over loss, and there will be no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. In the passing away of this earth, all of those things that are the worst for us, pain, sorrow, and death, will be no more. Why? Because he has destroyed them and he has created new. Aren't our lives filled with tears? Is not the world filled with death? Just in the last 48 hours, a young singer who was on The Voice was killed by a crazy person in Orlando. She was signing memorabilia, and this guy, who she was a former contestant on, on, on The Voice, this this strange weirdo guy comes and shoots her five times and then kills himself happened within 48 hours not only that last night in orlando there was a nightclub that was shot and 20 people were murdered has it got bigger now is it fit the death count higher oh my gosh 
going on throughout the world. There are refugees scattered all over the place. They're displaced because of war and evil ideology. This year at the Olympics, they're actually going to have a country, quote-unquote, of refugees that will compete as the refugee countries. They're going to march under the Olympic flag, and the Olympic song will be their national anthem, but they don't have a country anymore, so they're going to compete as refugees. Cancer, loss, sin, broken marriages, broken homes, deceit, mistrust, death, losing a loved one, a loved one telling you they wish they lost you and turning away from you. This is this world. It is. But there's hope. Because there's a day coming when God himself will wipe away the tears. Now, I just think about this. I have a little boy who is got his dad's hyperactivity and his mom's clumsiness. And if you've ever seen, I mean, he's insane. I mean, he jumps on you like a spider monkey. Anytime I walk in the house, like, Dad, okay? But he, he is so, he just, and he's got a big head like his dad, too. And he just smacks into things, and he hurts himself, and he scrapes his knees. And I can't tell you how many times I had to pick him up and wipe the tears off his eyes and say, it's okay, buddy. Now, let's be honest. Let's be clear. God does not owe us that. That's all of grace. Because we actually deserve punishment. But he is saying here in this tender picture that the dwelling place of God is his man, all the symbols that used to point us to God being with his people and his people having fellowship with one another and God, they're not, the symbols have now become reality. The new Jerusalem has come. He will be with them. He will be our God. There will be no more barrier. We will be with him. Our faith will be sight. And that he will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning. There won't be any more of those days where you're standing by the graveside and you just hear that deep, deep wail of someone who's lost a person so close to them. That will be no more. It will be done. Those who are in Christ will rise and will be with him. Those who are not in Christ will rise and they'll be judged rightfully. And there will be this time where there is no more mourning and no more death. It will be done. And there will be no more crying. It's kind of like, you remember that movie, The League of Their Own? There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in heaven. But I also want you to notice this. The new heavens and the new earth is where God is going to dwell with his people. It's also been talked about that God's people would be with him in, forever, be with him in, in heaven forever. It's mentioned in Revelation. I want you to know something. The new creation, the restoration of Christ is not some ethereal Looney Tunes heaven. We're all going to play harps and stuff and just be in, this, in the clouds. No. Heaven comes to earth. And it invades this broken space and we will be with God. 
This is called for in the prophets. Isaiah talks about a new heavens and a new earth and a new life and, 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 and the lion laying down with the lamb. And so this very world will be recreated. There is hope. However, our idea of the word hope is kind of thin and small. Have you ever noticed that, the way we use hope? It's almost like we use it as like, I don't think things are going to happen, but I hope that they will. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've been rooting for the Cavaliers, those of you who've been following basketball, and I hope Cleveland gets a championship. Ain't going to happen, okay? Poor Cleveland, okay? That's a hope, but it's like, yeah, it's not going to happen, okay? Don't we do that all the time? I hope I get a million dollars. You go and you buy a scratch-off ticket. I'm not advocating that, but you go and you do it. What's the hopes? I hope I'm going to win, like, like a bunch of money and be on the news. That's not going to happen. Your odds are, like, insanely stacked against you. It's just another tax. You get this? Our, this is the way we think of hope. It's like, it's not going to happen, but I hope it will. It's like, just, it's, like a, it's like a positivity in the face of absolute failure. You're like, just, it's going to be great. I hope it works out. Based on nothing. That is not the Bible definition of hope. Hope is based on fact. Hope is based on truth. Hope is based on Christ and the promises of God in the Bible. You do not believe me. Look in verse 5, and it says this, And he who is seated on the throne said, This is talking about Jesus. Behold, I am making all things new. Do you know why he's sitting on a throne? He's sitting on a throne because he obeyed his father, and he died on the cross as the God-man and is raised to new life and rose in victory. And because of that, he has the name above every name, and he may sit on the throne. And so he's sitting on the throne, and he's saying, I'm going to make all things new. You know why? Because he earned it. Because he is God. Because of what he has done on the cross. So ultimately, the cross is the basis for our hope, the work of Jesus. And then we get up, and it says this. Also, he said this. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So now, he see, John sees this image, okay? He sees the new heavens, new earth coming down. And then he says, hey, write this down. Now, like he hadn't been writing the other parts down, but he wants to make, there's, there's a transition here of what happens to talking to the people who he's writing this letter to, which would be seven churches in Asia. And he's writing this, this letter, and he says, I want you to listen to this. Jesus is kind of breaking the fourth wall, and he's looking and saying, write this down, John, what you saw, and I want you to write especially this down. Look here in verse 5. Write down these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is called faithful and true again and again. So based in this idea of trustworthy and true, write down this truth. The hope that we have is not based in, you know what? I really hope that there's good stuff that happens after you die. You know, I really hope that it's not the end and we're not just worm food after we die. I really hope that it's not just the end. I really hope, hope, hope. No, the Christian faith is because of Jesus and God's promises, which have shown to be true in his mighty acts and the goodness and faithfulness of his word. That's why all of these things can happen. You ever talk to somebody and they're out there and they just say, I just think things are going to work out. I say this all the time. What makes you think things are going to work out? 
Unless you have Christ, there is nothing to give you any hope that anything's going to work out. Like zero. What's going to work out? You're going to die. Oh, yeah. Stuff's going to break and fall apart. I got a brand new house. It's really cool. I'm thinking, oh, my. It could burn down. Fall in, termites, hurricanes, act of God, smack, no more. Dude, you're like a bring down. No, I'll just let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. What hope do we have if it's not based outside of ourselves? It's just us. It's like wishful thinking. It's the power of positive thinking. And that doesn't get us very far. And so Jesus makes the point. He says, hey, write this down. I want, I want these people to know. I want these churches who are, and these churches that he's writing to in Asia, they are experiencing tremendous persecution. They have under Nero, and now they are experiencing more persecution under another Roman emperor. And he tells them, he, and he breaks this. He sees the new heavens, new earth. He sees the tears wipes away, wipe, being wiped away. He sees the restoration that's coming. But he says, I want you to know this hope is not based on just positive thinking. It's based on the one who is faithful and true and who died and rose again. It's based on the sovereign God who holds history in his hand. The hope of heaven is not just positivity. The hope of heaven is not just great sentiment. The hope of heaven is not just from people who can't handle the inevitable. The hope of heaven is based on the finished work of Christ and of God and his sovereignty. And that's what it says in verse 8. It says, he who's seated on the throne said, Behold, look at this. Check this out. I am making all things new. It's a promise. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Write this down. I'm faithful and true. You write down what I'm saying, which is trustworthy and true. Just like you can't trust somebody who tells a bunch of lies, you can definitely trust somebody who tells the truth all the time, and it is Christ. And so we see right here in verse 6, he says, and he said to me, it is done. The struggle will one day be over. Here's, he goes on further. His character is seen again. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, that sounds real big and bad, and it is real big and bad, but it's basically Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. The New Testament's written in Greek, okay? That was the language of the time. It was the predominant language in most of the world uh, for, for a great, great many number of years under the Roman emperor. Greek, first letter in the alphabet is A. Last letter in the alphabet is Omega. First letter in our alphabet is A. The first letter, or the last letter in our alphabet is Z. He is saying, I am the A to Z. I am the first, and I am the last. I've known the plan in between. I have it all under control. You can trust that this vision is true, and you can trust that I am making all things new, and that it is done. It's already finished. There's nothing that can shake it. My plan will take place because I am the A to Z, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then he says these wild words, the one who is sovereign, the one who is great. He reminds us yet again of his grace, and he says this, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You can't do anything to earn it. All that I've done is just available by my grace. You come and you drink, and it is free. So we got hope, right? New heavens, new earth. Tears wiped away. Our faith will be sight. 
we, the heaven comes to earth. It invades. All things that are broken will be, made, will be made new. This is the truth, and it's based on our hope is not just, I hope everything works out. No, it is on the risen Christ who is the A to Z. It's on the God who spoke. It's on the God who created. It's on the God who will recreate. Our hope is in nothing less than all of who God is and what he has done in Christ. Our hope is not small. Our hope is not shaken. As sure as God is on the throne, this will come to be. This is not fanciful myths that make people feel better. This is the truth of God and that God is supremely gracious to us and the tears are getting wiped away of his people. Second word I had was holiness. Hope, based on Christ, new creation, holiness. And there's a couple of passages that talk about the recreation, and it talks about what it, should point, which, what it should point us to, and the fact that this world is passing away, why we should be holy. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13 says this, Since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Peter says, since the world is going to be burned up and it's going to pass away, since the first things are going to be gone, we ought to live holy lives in light of that, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt and they burn. But according to his promises, we are waiting a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, we should live holy, godly, godly lives, resisting the temptations to sin here, because this world is temporary, and what is coming is eternal and will last longer. Invest in something that's going to make, is going to have dividends. And then we go on, John would say this in 1 John, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's a command not to love the world. And then he says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then verse 17 says this, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The idea is this, since this world is passing away, we don't belong to it anymore. This is not our ultimate home. We must live godly, holy lives, investing in what is to come. You ever been to a restaurant that has a really good bread basket? Right? You've done that before? And what inevitably happens, especially if you hadn't eaten anything all day? I'm going to eat some bread. Just a little bit, because i got a steak coming. Okay, I'm going to eat some more bread. That bread, you don't know why they give you bread. I mean, it's, it's filler, okay? Especially at buffets. Like, here, have 70 rolls before you go to the buffet, okay? Why? Bread doesn't cost much to make. Not delicious, but it's not very expensive. And you've done that before. You ever done it where you just keep eating bread because you're just not even thinking about it? You're out back and you got that, you know, that brown loaf was made of bark or something that you don't know because it's got butter on it, so you don't care. You just, ah, you're pounding that stuff, right? Ah. And then the steak comes, and you're like, dang, I shouldn't have eaten that half of a fried onion 
and <laughs> all that bread. Some of you are going to Outback now after this, okay? Out- Journey Church brought to you by Outback, okay? That's not true. We don't have a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> but you get, and then the steak comes. Like four bites. I'm taking this bad boy home. I mean, we had this, the, the food ministry sent, when we went to camp last week, they sent a ton of snacks with us. Like, and we had snacks for days. We had, like, like all the hostess cupcakes you could think of. There was even chocolate-covered Twinkies. Am I lying, Mitch? No, it's real. And so we get to dinner time, and that dinner they had there was awesome. Like, they, were, they, were, they threw down some brisket at one point. They had pizza, which was the, for the kids. But for us, they had, like, roasted pork loin with apples on it. It was, like, I mean, it was, it was nice. I mean, you don't say that about cafeteria-style food. But it was, like, we were looking forward to, to lunch and dinner. Like, yeah, let's do this thing. But a bunch of our students didn't eat. And we were like, well, why aren't you eating in there? It's like, I had a, I had a box of cupcakes before I came. Dude, <laughs> that's not good for you, man. I mean, it's good to you, but it's not for you. And that is what sin is like. We have this thing waiting for us, this holy God waiting for us, this new life waiting for us, and we want to fill up on the junk of this world, but the desires of this world, the lust of the flesh, the pride and life, and the lust of the eyes, it's, it's passing away. Therefore, we live for something greater. It's motivation. So we, get, we have a hope that's true based on Christ. We have, we have a call to holiness based on the fact that this world is passing away. Therefore, what we do here needs to be holy and godly and for the other world and not to love this world because it is passing away. Investing in this world is like investing in MySpace. It's a waste. Investing... Investing in heaven is, is, is the surest, safest bet of all. And, and, and that is what causes the holiness. Finally, I said home. The assurance of our home is based on who Christ is. And I want you to notice in verses 7 and 8, there is a question that we must ask. Verse 7 and 8. Now, this is a, this is a, a, a remember I told you, he, the, the event happens in verses 1 through 4. The new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem, the wiping of every tear from the eye. Then God calls. And he says, I want you to write this down. And all this is going to be, I'm going to make all things new. And you can base that on the fact that I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. You trust me for what I've done. I'm faithful and true, so this is faithful and true. Your hope is, not, is built on me. And then he says, come, everyone who thirsts, you can drink of this spring of life, and you can, you can know this. Then verses 7 and 8, he gives a challenge. And it's, it's the challenge is this. It comes in the form of a question. Will you be a conqueror or will you be a coward? Will you be a conqueror or will you be a coward? In verse 7, it says this. To the one, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, you have to, to understand this completely, you need to go back to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the beginning of the book. G- John is on Patmos. It talks about in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. He's on Patmos, which is a prison colony island. He is there suffering. He's in chains because of his, his trust in Christ and his preaching of Christ. So he is on this little island in the middle of 
of the sea, and he's there as a form of punishment for preaching Christ. He has this vision. He sees a holy, risen Jesus. And he says, I want you to write this down to these seven churches. And all but two, or in all but two of the seven churches, they have something good that happens in them. But there's also something bad that happens that is going on. They have sin in their lives. And so he tells them, every one of them, to repent and be a conqueror. That means an overcomer. So they have some good things that are going on in each of these churches. But in, in five of them, there's good things, but there's also sin. And so he tells them to repent of their sin and to return to their first love or return to doing good. And if they repent, they're going to be conquerors. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that salvation is based on works because it's not. However, one way you can test your salvation is if you continue in the faith, if you continue in good works, if you continue in your faith, how do you know you're going to make it to the end? How do you know you've ultimately be saved? Is that you persevere. And God's doing the work of perseverance, but we are in part of it too. And so he writes this, in verse 7 it says, The one who conquers or overcomes... one who conquers or overcomes will have this heritage, the heritage or inheritance, the inheritance of the new heavens and new earth. And I will be his God and he will be my son. All of the promises that he made are coming to the ones who overcome, which are the ones who persevere, the ones who stay the course. And it's contrasted to the coward in verse eight. And it says, but all, but as for the cowardly, that's not used very much in the Bible. That word is not. It's definitely used here because here's what's happening in this church, in these churches, the the ones we're talking about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. These churches are experiencing persecution. They're experiencing tough times. They're out of favor with the culture and with the government. We're headed that way quickly in this country. And there is going to be this pressure to tolerate things that the Bible says not to tolerate, i.e. sexual immorality, i.e. following other idols, other, following other gods except for Christ, the idea that you want to be accepted by the culture more than you want to follow and honor God. And so this is a direct, remember it's changed, there's the event that happened, and now he's speaking directly to his readers, and, and it's crazy how times haven't changed that much, even though it's thousands of years later. We are still at the same place where the ones who overcome, who maintain the course of faith, who continually, when they, when, when they sin, they repent, When they sin, they feel conviction. When they sin, they keep coming back. They keep professing their sins. They keep coming to the truth. They keep wrestling for the truth. They keep contending for the truth. They're the ones who are conquerors, and their place, their inheritance, what they will get at the end will be this new heavens and new earth, this place where they'll be with God, the new Jerusalem. They will get all their tears wiped away. And so this momentary pain that they are suffering now for holding true to the word of God will be seen as something small in comparison to what they get. It's a great deal. But those who love the world and love the applause of men, those who fear the culture more than they fear God, they're called cowardly in this passage. They do not heed the warnings to repent that happen in Revelations 2 and 3. They're cowards, and they, they love 
now more than later. And they're trading in eternity for small desires here and to fit in here and to have life here and to not be burdened and pained here. They're missing out on the fullness of joy that is to come. So verse 8 contrasts those who are conquerors and overcomers with those who are cowardly. And then their cowardice, their cowardice of not holding to the truth of God results in all of these different sins. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, those who don't trust God, don't have faith that whatever he says is right and whatever, whatever the culture says is wrong, if it, if it is in contradiction to what God says, then it says this, the detestable, as for murderers, all of this can lead to murder, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion, their inheritance will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There is a warning and an invitation here. The warning is this. Will you be a conqueror or will you be a coward? The ones who are conquerors does not mean you're perfect in your faith. It does not mean that you do not fall. It means that you repent and you run after Christ for your entire life. And when you get knocked down, you come back. And, it's, and you hold to his words and his truth over what the culture says. And you will die on his word instead of giving up everything to be in cahoots and to be loved in this world. It's Jesus asking the question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? So will we be those who, who vigorously and violently hold to the word of God and contend for it and pray for it and, 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 and hold to it and in the face of a culture that denies Christ and wants us to, to acquiesce to the cultural standards that they have? Will we be the conqueror or will we be the coward? The conqueror has the inheritance of eternal life and a new heaven and a new earth and the very presence of God and all their tears wiped away and an eternity with him. Those who are cowardly have good things here. They have the cultural acceptance. They have, the, they have an easier life here, but the one to come will be spent in hell and the second death. So the question remains, will you be a conqueror or a coward? I don't want to be misleading by this word conqueror. Because when you think of conqueror, you're thinking of somebody who, like, never fails, right? I do. I'm thinking, like, the ultimate warrior, okay? Not like the wrestling one, but, you know, somebody who stands on his victims, stands on his enemies and says, I have won. That is not the picture of the conquerors in the Bible. They conquer because of the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. It is not about you being a conqueror, like you being perfect or you being strong. It's about the one you're connected to. And so hear me, hear me. I pray that everyone in this church, everyone that the elder team has been given charge over by Christ to, to, to work and to, to pour our lives into and to point you towards Jesus. Here's what I pray. I pray that you will be conquerors. Not that, you will, not that you will win every time and not that you will not have any struggles, but when you are in your struggles, you do not turn away. You run to Jesus and you do not give up. 
You cling tight to him because he's clinging harder on to you than you are to him, guaranteed. He's got you, but you just run to him, and you just, if you got to, you just sink your nails in there, and you say, I'm not leaving. I'm going to obey you no matter how hard it's going to be. I'm not going to give up on my kids and praying for them if they're running away. I'm not going to give up on my marriage. I'm not going to give up on this church. I'm not going to give up on proclaiming Christ. When I sin, and it will happen, I will run back hard. Because we don't want any of you to go to the second death. We don't want any of you to be cowardly at the end. Ultimately, hear, hear me, this is not dependent on your strength. It's dependent on his if you're hearing this call and you want to run today, that is him working in you. That's the Spirit saying, you need to come back and you need to grab hold of Jesus. He's holding you. But you run back and you grab it. And you don't let go. Because a better day's coming. A better day's coming. When I got, I'll finish with, conclude with this. I was in a church um, I preach the Disciple Now. A couple of you guys were gracious enough to let me have a Sunday where I could go preach at this Disciple Now down in Georgia. I went and preached at this church, and they had a ton of teenagers and no uh, median adults, like uh, 30 to 50. They didn't have that, but they had all it was senior adults, and it was youth. It was kind of an interesting mix in the church. And so when I got to preach that Sunday morning, I was preaching to teenagers and to senior adults. And I was trying to, I was talking to the senior adults and I said, hey, listen, God's still got a lot for you to do in mentoring. You've, some of you had Bibles for years and have followed Jesus for years. Some of these young kids need that mentorship. Some of you, some of you young kids, you need to go and meet a senior adult because you probably haven't ever done that, okay? And they're cool, okay? Most of them, all right? So I, I was talking about that. And we were speaking about, uh, I was speaking on John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in speaking about it, I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This is true, because in, in that whole passage, it says, in my Father's house, there's many, many rooms. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back again. Jesus is saying, trust me. So much, remember, all of our hope is based on trust in who Christ is and who he is. And so it just hit me like, he's, it's coming. We have better days coming ahead. And I want everyone in this room to know this. If you are in Christ, your best days are ahead. Your body may be wasting away. I'm not saying that your life's going to be better right now in this time. You may have to suffer greatly until you see him. But there are better days ahead. I don't know if it will be until you close your eyes and and you awaken in, in glory and awaken with him. I don't know if that will be, but there are better days ahead. The, the United States could fall apart. It's in process. It could fall apart tomorrow. There's still better days ahead. We could lose our food sources, and we'd all be struggling and trying to farm, and I'll be coming to one of your houses because I would have no idea to do that, okay? That could be happening, but there's better days ahead. You, lot, you could lose a family member. Your whole life could fall apart. All your finances would be taken away from you. If you're in Christ, there are better days ahead. There are better days ahead. There is hope ahead. It's not based on you and how you feel. It's based on him and what he has done. There are better days ahead. It's getting better. There is a coming day when the tears will be wiped away. There is a better day coming. So don't give up now. For the believer, it's always, there's always hope. 
there's always hope. It's not based on ourselves. It's based on him. Our better days are coming. The better days are coming. That's why we can sing crazy, crazy, positive songs. Crazy, just, just at deathbeds, we can sing songs about joy in the Lord. At, at funerals, we can have joy. Not that we don't mourn, but we know that the better day is coming. Do not give up. Be an overcomer. Do not be a coward because your best days are ahead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come, and as we get prepared to take communion, um, and as our, our deacons and ushers come forward for that, God, we, we come and we want to eat this cup and drink this, or eat this bread and drink this cup in full assurance and hope that you have paid the penalty for sins, that all who trust Christ have eternal life and our inheritance as we persevere, our inheritance is coming and our better days are ahead. So we drink this and eat this bread in faith and in hope. God, we ask that you would bless this time of worship in Jesus' name.